Hi, I'm Sharon Hunter, and this is Moonstone Connections, a podcast that puts the spotlight on important leaders in the world of arts and entertainment. Through in-depth conversations with people in the arts, we will get a chance to learn about them and how they are making a difference. Welcome back. Tonight, I'm very happy to speak with the executive director of the Fox Performing Arts Charitable Foundation, Judith Cullen. Judith and I have become friends because we met in the St. Louis Theater Community Task Force. Now, if you haven't heard of it, it's something that I formed back in April of 2020 due to the pandemic and how it was affecting our theater community. As I said on the first podcast, I had started my own theater company called Moonstone Theater Company, and we were supposed to have our debut season uh, starting this July of 2020. But of course, with the way things have been with the COVID-19 pandemic, we had to put a lot of things on hold. And that includes everything that's happened with the theater community in general. We've all had to put a lot of things on hold and pivot and figure out a new way of managing what we're doing creatively. And we've all done that as best we can. And I think as successfully as we can. And when I put together the task force, I did it because I was trying to figure out what to do and coming up with answers and coming up with, um, you know, solutions to problems that I didn't really know how to answer myself. And I thought the best way to do that would be to sit down with other theater leaders and say, okay, what do you think would be a good way of tackling, um, what's happening in our community, and and how do we best adapt to that. And I have to say that everyone has really come together. And so Judith and I met uh, doing that because the task force actually is a collection of all the theaters that are in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and we all get together every couple of weeks, and we all have a meeting on Zoom and talk about how we're going to... Uh, you know, brainstorm and come up with ways of not only keeping actors, creatives, tech crew, um, you know, stage managers, and of course the audience safe. I mean, that is our main goal here and one that we want to do collectively because we want, we want to be unified. And it's really important that we have a strong, um, a strong unification of theater across the board so that everyone feels like they're in good hands when they are going back to do live theater. And I think that that has been something that's been happening across the United States. I have to say, you know, New York has has done a wonderful job. And as much as we, of course, miss Broadway, uh, I think the number one, you know, concern for everybody is is safety. So I am happy to have Judith on tonight. She's a a wonderful, vivacious, talented woman who has had a a very exciting and uh, I would say interesting career with many different facets of her life. And she's become a a great asset to uh, the task force and to St. Louis in general. So sit back and enjoy episode two of Moonstone Connections. I'm so happy to have as a guest on this episode, Judith Cullen. She is the executive director of the Fox Performing Arts Charitable Foundation. But Judith has had an illustrious career 
in theater. She started as a child uh, dancing and performing on all kinds of stages throughout St. Louis, Powell Hall, the Muni, Keel Opera House, Edison Theater, uh, the Civic Ballet. She went on to become a stage manager and a choreographer worked uh, for years at the Westport Playhouse, which is one of my favorite theaters, and also stages St. Louis. And Judith is also a member of the St. Louis Theater Community Task Force. One of the ways that we have met and become friends, I am so happy to have her on. Judith, welcome. Well, thank you, Sharon. <laughs> I, this is just a wonderful, format that you're doing. I, I, I loved hearing about you and Eddie on your on your first episode because often when we get together, we, we're on a purpose to do something and we, we hit it, we talk about it, we get it done. And these deep dives give such richness to our relationship to hear how people uh, think and, and how they come to theater and their philosophies. It's, it's really a wonderful idea. So thank you for doing that. Oh, absolutely. And that's exactly the thing, you know, with the task force, it, it is, we're, we're, we're on a mission and we're all there and we're talking about what's going on with the theater world and the pandemic and how that's affecting us. But my goal was to have more in-depth conversations with, with all the theater leaders in town to really understand what, what, what goals they've had, what journey they've had, and, and, and you have had really quite a life. And, and I guess let's start with your childhood because it's, it, to me, that's very interesting. Um, as a child performer, you started as a dancer, so did I, but you, you performed a lot more places than I did. Tell me about that. How did you get started? Well, my mother was a dancer, so she actually danced in the Muni in the 40s. And um, wow. And it kind of interesting way, um, uh, one time she was at the Muni doing, I believe it was the Red Shoes, and they had a, um, a theatrical design where the, the kids that were dancing had to exit upstage left over a bridge. And they designed the bridge to, to have kind of a forced perspective from the audience point of view. So it looked like it was very long. So it was very wide on stage and then it got narrower as it went off stage. And all the kids had to, you know, kind of clump together as they exited. And my mother kept falling off during rehearsal and she was so embarrassed because she was a very good dancer. And she went home and was trying to explain to her family and she was having to use her hands to make her lips move so she could talk. And her uncle said, oh my God, I think you have polio. Oh my gosh. So they took her to the doctor and indeed they put her in the St. Louis polio hospital because there was an epidemic then. And she had to go into an iron lung for several mm. years. Right. And, but she was a dancer, so she was used to moving. So they put a, a piece of plywood at the end of her feet because in, in an iron lung, your head sticks out, your feet stick out. And so she was doing time steps to keep herself busy. And she would teach the kids <laughs> next to her how to do time steps. And they had a little mirror over your head so you could tilt the mirror and talk to people on the other side of you in front and back. And then those kids would teach time steps to the kids next to them. And those kids would teach time steps to the kids next to them. And pretty soon the whole polio ward uh, was tap dancing in their iron lungs. So, um, oh my goodness, what an amazing story. It's just an example of, of the kind of person my mother is, that that's kind of our family mantra. Whenever things go wrong, you just keep tap dancing. That's, so that's, that is totally <laughs> 
oh my goodness, how I was taught. I was taught by a woman by the name of Joy Smythe. And Miss Joy, when I was a a little girl, there was a, a dancer in our troupe. Her name was Pauline Hart. And Pauline Hart could do no wrong. And during our recital, Pauline Hart danced and got a piece of glass in her foot. And Pauline Hart kept going. Pauline Hart bled on that stage. And the, the moral of the story is, she said to me, no matter what happens, Sherry, because I was Sherry as a kid, you just keep on dancing. No matter, the, if the building burns down, you keep going. And so in my life, I'll always say, what would Pauline Hart do? So I love your mother because that is how I feel the same way. And that's how we're kind of doing it with this, you know, the situation that we're in now, because we don't know what we're going to do, but you got to keep dancing. That's it. That's it. Your mother. Wow. And I mean, did she recover fully? Well, no, actually um, she had some bad scoliosis from the polio, but she sure. can walk. So, so luckily they think that movement in the iron lung did help with, you know, she wasn't crippled, but um, in, in, in the way that things work, she didn't go back to dancing, but to cover up the, the uh, back brace that she had, she learned how to make her own patterns. And so, so she moved into costume design and wardrobes. So my mother did a lot of costuming around town at Theater Project. If you did a local commercial, it was probably my mother that was dressing you. Uh, She was also at Westport Playhouse. She even got jobs from different companies. The Harkness Ballet would have her do like the whale boning and the tutus and and that kind of specialty work. So what is your mother's name? So that Marianne Sperianio Grothy. Marianne Grothy. Wonderful, because I know you said you had a connection with Eddie uh, Caulfield in that your mom knew him when he worked there at the well, project or something. Yeah, at, uh, when Fontaine Sire, who founded uh, Theater Project, she got married to Bobby Miller, uh, who was right. an actor, and uh, my mother um, helped uh, uh, do her wedding dress. So, so, oh, how nice! How nice! Your but, mother sounds like an amazing person, and I'm and I'm not at all surprises to why you have such an amazing positive attitude and I've always been drawn to that is your smile and your warmth and I can imagine what what a thing your mom did for those kids in that ward to pass on you know the the dancing and the joy of that and is that why you went into dancing well mom well when she had me she took me to um a dance studio that had just started in St. Charles where I was born and raised and uh, the woman that taught had danced with her at the Muni and it just started teaching. And I was only three. I was very young. And I still remember this, which is so weird because we walked in between classes and uh, the dance teacher, uh, very exotic looking. And she turned to me and she goes, you know what a buffalo is? And I'm like, yeah, it's a big hairy animal with <laughs> And she said, no, it's jump to the side, shuffle, jump. And I went, mm, actually, it's really an animal with horns. It yes, really, it really is. is. Yes. And she laughed and she said, well, that's the thing, you know, um, <laughs> words have more than one meaning and it's also an animal and it's also a tap step. And I had that epiphany moment uh, where I thought, oh, how cool is this that the arts have all these layers and these secret doors that you can open and and things mean more than one thing and and 
oddly in my life, a lot of, of richness has come from, from the arts, you know, and when I took dancing class from Stanley Herbert, my dancing teacher, he wouldn't just teach you a combination and do bar work and floor work. He would bring these, you know, beautiful paintings in and would talk about the lines and the painting and how when you do your arabesque, you're continuing the line from your hand and your foot. And, and you know, it, it's just wonderful how rich he made that. And good teachers uh, can, can bring so much more than just teaching you technique or teaching you, you know, certain choreography. I mean, they really can open the world to all kinds of possibilities. And that, that's something, you know, I try to pass on and do as well. But there's people that do it so much better than me. And I'm, I'm always amazed whenever I'm like, oh, there's another secret door. I love that. What, um, I, w- I guess my question is, what do you think got you to feel like you wanted to keep pursuing that when you were a child and then going into your teen years, obviously you kept performing. What was that? Was it just the, the joy of being on stage or was it the joy of, um, you know, theater itself? How, how do you describe it? Well, I, I, I hate to say this, but I was a nerd, you know, <laughs> so we talk about theater nerds and dance nerds. I was totally... Yeah. So even though my mother introduced me at a very young age, most people just went to a dance class once a week. You right, know? right. Took a couple of weeks of baton twirling in there, or you know, you took maybe ballet, maybe tap, maybe jazz, but you didn't take all of them. Well, right. I took everything. I was there every day of the week. I was there on Saturdays and Sundays when St. Charles started the St. Charles Civic Ballet. I was dragging my mother to the audition, so it wasn't like she was you know, living through me at all. It was me going, oh, we have to go to this audition. And then at the starting role, I was so excited. But, you know, it was Peter and the Wolf and I got to play Peter because there weren't any boys. So, you know, it it may have been the starring role, but the other girls had pretty tutus and their toe shoes and I was barefoot in in overalls. And I was like, hmm. So the next year I auditioned for St. Louis Civic Ballet and then I got to wear some pretty stuff. So that was good. (laughs) Was your specialty ballet or did you do all of it? Tap, jazz, all the whole thing? I did everything. I did (laughs) gymnastics. I did baton. I, you know, if there was a, a folk dancing, I was at the JCA for the Hava Nagila dancers, you know, I went to Catholic school, you know, I'm right there in the middle of them. Exactly. Me too. Me too. I did, I did tap ballet and jazz for 11 years. My mother was also a professional tap dancer when she was a teenager and she used to dance at the blue note on the hill every week. And so, but then she was shyer. She didn't have as much of that wanting to, she, she didn't, I don't know. She didn't want to continue to keep pursuing it, but I'm not as, I guess, shy. And I've always felt real comfortable on stage. And, you know, so it's, and I think you probably are the same because I can tell just your personality is very much, uh, you know, uh, you, you gravitate toward that. No, I, I love the taking the risk and learning different things. And I love that adrenaline rush that you get. Mm-hmm. I love putting myself out there and trying to grow and, and being brave. I mean, that's just one of the things. My mother grew up on the hill, so I just love these hill stories. Oh, so, <laughs> yes. Mary Ann Sperania, one of 12 children. So, so your mom's uh, Italian too? 
a Sicilian. So oh, let's get so is mine. My Grace and Delicato. So oh yeah. my gosh, they probably know each other. So. They probably do. <laughs> yeah, it's it. That's the whole. Oh, that's that's the hill. I'll tell you. She grew up on Edmonds, right there in the middle of the hill, and and because she, she's from twelve, and almost oh. all my aunts and uncles had you know large families, and and some of them just had one or two, but most everybody had had more. So people will say, I ran into your cousin. And I'm like, sure. Uh, how are they? Because basically the chances are very good that you'll run into one of my cousins. Was your whole family involved in theater or did they sing or dance or do music in, in some way? My dad liked to build sets. So he did that a lot for for his uh, the Catholic youth organization. So oh, he, cool. he got into doing that. My mom did the dancing. And my brother got his equity union card when he was nine, touring with Angela Lansbury and Gypsy. Really? He did did a lot of of little boy roles in town. He played Jim Hawkins in Treasure Island at at Theater Project when they started at Union Station, which is how mom got to do costumes over there. And then um, he did a lot of Lee boy roles at the Muni, you know, in Finian's Rainbow and uh, the Music Man. Did your did anyone go with your brother when he was touring the country? My mom, oh, my she mom did? did. Yeah. Oh, and wow. She loved it because uh, she would always ask them, can I help file? Can I help do something? So she was always, you know, did working. he continue on with a career in, in uh, you know, theater and Broadway or anything like that? Well, he actually did a lot of TV work and he went out to, you know, be a kid on the Waltons and he worked with Andrew, uh, you know, the girl who did uh, Annie and they had like boys behind her for some TV specials and the Trials of Terrible Tim or something, Reader's Digest. So we all kept the Reader's Digest with his name. But that is so um, exciting. I he's mean, now the director of reporting and analytics for uh, MasterCard. So okay. he moved into the business world and uh, he's he's just, you know, I have only one brother and he's the best. I, I won the lottery on brothers. He's oh, that's he fabulous. Anything like me, he's blonde and tall and thin, you know, and no, no. I'm chesty and short and dark haired, you know, I have nothing. <laughs> don't look at it all like we're the same person. But he's. He's great fun. Yeah, but I just, I think that's so great that you, you, you're so proud of him and that you, you're, you know, you're like so excited about talking about all the things that he did. That's really an incredible career, but then so have you, I mean, after, so, so what was the impetus to move from performance to then getting, getting into stage managing? Tell me a little bit about that. And what did you, what did you do? And, and, and if, if for people who are listening, who may be interested in stage managing, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Well, one thing everybody who who is a dedicated dancer has to remember that your dance performance life is a little shorter than acting or singing, um, because at one point your knees will start to go and, and, and it's hard. It's hard. And I had injuries and that happened. So I moved into choreography. I got my um, SDC at that point. It was SSDNC, uh, just the union uh card for directors and choreographers. So I did, I got to choreograph Sid Charisse. And really? <laughs> I did Donald O'Connor. I got to do some work with the, the original Pump Boys and Dinette's crowd. And Deborah Monk, who's in that show is just, you know, just brilliant. And um, so I got to do some fun things with some really great people. And um, in between musicals, 
um, people would ask me just to stay on between the two musicals and if they would do a straight play in between, just be an ASM, just an right. assistant stage manager. Were you touring with these shows when you were doing that choreography? Yeah, we did short tours out of Westport Playhouse. Oh, I see. That's okay. basically where we started. And then I found out that um, really liked stage managing. It wasn't as nerdy as I thought it was. It, it, it has a lot of things that you use as a dancer and a choreographer where you, you're being organized and, and uh, you, you know, you, you get to kind of pace the show because when you start calling sound cues and light cues and all of that, it, it feels very musical even in a straight play because when you give a go on a light, it doesn't just pop on, you know, it kind of blooms open. Right. So if you can find those edges where you know you're helping the show move and you know just exactly when to call the next cue when the applause starts dying and, and it, there's a real art to it. And uh, I really loved doing it. And I, I uh, was lucky enough to keep getting calls and I was getting more calls to be a stage manager than a choreographer. And I was like, okay, so I, I went on waiver and left my union choreography card going on hold and I kept my equity card going. And, uh, and I pretty much did that for the longest time. And, all and, at Westbrook Playhouse, or did you go other places? I went everywhere. The I st um, when I went to college, um, my prof the head of the department at Lindenwood took over Westport Playhouse, and he said, "You know, you have to come over here to Westport. We got to get Godspell ready." And and uh, I choreographed that one, so I moved over with him. And I'm like, "Well, am I getting theater credit for this for school?" He goes, "No, you're out of school." And I was like, "Well, I'm not really done." <laughs> No, wait a minute. Hold He's it. like, I need you here. And, and then you're going to learn more here. And, you know, if you want to teach and get a degree, then you should go to school if you want to teach. So I was like, you know what? I don't want to teach because that would be a safety net. And I really wanted to put myself out there uh, right, right. to be professional, which sounds, you know, not the thing I would tell my child to do. But, uh, you know, I, I was such a nerd, Sharon, I'm embarrassed to say, but I literally wouldn't get my driver's license because I was going to move to New York and I wouldn't need a driver's license. I would be riding the subway. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's no. Hey, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, you don't you know, you, you, you plan ahead, you know, so you're thinking, well, if I'm going to be in New York, I'm not going to drive. So that makes sense. Um, nerdy, but I did it anyway. But that's that's pretty much how all that worked out. So I started at uh, working full time at Westport, and then I moved to Theater Project, and then I got Cats, and I did four years with that. And then touring I went to, with Cats, yeah. And then yeah. I went to, the four years with Cats. We did eight shows a week, and I did the first thing I've never done before because every show you work closes at some point, so then mm -hmm. you just get the next show, but. In Cats, it just kept going. And after four years, I thought if I hear memory one more time, my head's gonna blow up. So I quit, which, <laughs> which you know, was like, nobody quits, you know, but I did. And I got the job at the Kennedy Center. So I was there for two and a half years and I got married. And then we went on the road with Miss Saigon for eight years, but I did not call the show all the time for those eight years because I had children. Right. So I would go in and out of the show and I would sub uh, and I would sub as the child wrangler and and the three different um, stage management positions. So it wasn't as as intense as Cats was. And then I went to Sages St. Louis because I came back to, so my kids could get in school and not have to work. And um, my husband got a great offer at Mizzou to be in charge of all their theater technical um, 
um, positions at their two uh, professional uh, uh, venues, the Jesse Auditorium and the Missouri Theater. So we moved to Columbia, Missouri, and the only theater in town was my husband's, and I didn't want to work for my husband. <laughs> so he's in theater as well. That's how you met? He was the light board operator on Cats. So I'm interested in hearing from you a little bit about, now I, I was asking you about your husband. Did mm -hmm. he, was he in theater and that's how you met? Was he also a stage manager? No, he actually uh, is an IOTSI technician, International Alliance of Theatrical Stage and Plays. And he does everything technical. Um, and uh, he got the job at Mizzou to run, be the supervisor for all the crews that do all the technical work at the two professional theaters there, the Bessie Auditorium and the Missouri Theater. And I met him, he was the light board operator on Cats. And we teased everybody that he got used to taking my cues in the dark, so we had to get married. So that was our, our job. Oh. <laughs> and it all worked out just perfectly. It was great fun. He was from New York. And I just naturally assumed that when we got married, that we would go to New York. And there was my dream. I was moving out of St. Charles, Missouri and going to New York. How cool is that? His dream was to have a family in the beautiful Midwest. Of course. So, so there I was. Um, you know, you should always negotiate these things early. And <laughs> I was already married and pregnant with my first child. And sick as a dog, as you as you get when you when you have morning sickness. And when he decided to tell me that no, no, we were going to live in Missouri, and I was like, okay, well, I can't really back out now. So well, it's, you're <laughs> kind of sad. I mean, it's a little bit like I don't have any place I can go now. But um, but it, so you never ended up actually living in New York ever? No, oh. no. And I I actually got to cover some Broadway shows, and people would say, oh, great, why don't you do this one and that one? And I said, well. You know, technically, you have to pay me to come in from Missouri and do that because I'm union. And they're like, well, why would we do that? There's a million stage managers in New York. I go, yeah, I know. Yeah, I got to New York. But that's the problem. Right. But I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad that you got such an experience of all the touring. And for people who maybe are interested in doing that, what, what was that like? I mean, because I've never really heard a lot of people talk about just how, is it grueling? Is it difficult? Or do you love it? Is some people say it's exciting and it's it's thrilling going from city to city. I loved it. I was in my 20s. I had lots of energy. Mm -hmm. I loved jumping on those planes. And and as you start a tour, you sit in a city for a couple, couple of weeks, you know, two or three weeks if you're on a big hit. Uh, so you have time to explore the city and see things and, and you're with all these, you know, artistic, wonderful people. So you're working on other side jobs, you know, they're, they're doing their albums and coming up with artistic stuff. So there's lots of fun benefits to do and, and there's lots going on. It's so great. Um, then when I got older and my husband got the job at Mizzou and I didn't have a theater job at Mizzou, I went to work for a corporation. And it was the first time I'd ever had a non-artistic job. And it was scary, but it was really good because I got to learn financial things, which is something I, as an artistic team manager, I had never done. So, so um, I loved that part of it. But I would take my vacations from the corporation 
and I would use one of my vacation weeks to do a vacation with family. And then I would take the other one or two after I'd been there for a while and I would go out and sub on shows. So I went out and substage managed on Wicked. And then I would go out and substage manage on a Book of Mormon. And they were very kind and they would call me back. Sure. Um, and so I would try to, you know, let me take a couple days here, a couple days there to, to cover, you know, um, between contracts for people on vacations. But I found as I was getting older, it was less fun. Really? <laughs> was it just because of the, of the uh, just because it was tiring more? It was. Backstages are usually concrete. Mm-hmm. And as a stage manager, you're running up and down ladders, you're running up and down stairs to, you know, get valuables before the show from the actors, you're, you're, you know, helping load in the, the uh, office equipment. And uh, you're, you're, you know, in my 20s, it was great fun, and you stay in shape, and it's, it's fun. And, you know, when you get in your 30s and your 40s and your 50s, it gets a little less fun to do those, you know, let's run up those six you know, stairs, and you know, I'm like, so uh, after a while, they start to call me back, and I'd have to go, hmm, you know, oh, my kid has something, I can't tell you, know, sorry. <laughs> Did you just then stay in, then after you decided you didn't want to maybe do the stage managing thing, then you stayed in St. Louis, and is that when you then moved on to the Fox for the, for, for your job that you have now? Well, I, w- I was in Columbia at the corporation uh, learning finance, and I moved up very quickly through uh, um, um, the corporation because, you know, theater people, we, we're used to only having one day off a week. So, right. you know, other people have two days off a week, you know, so I had, you know, this whole extra day. So I, you know, went back to school and I got my degree in legal studies, and then I went back for a master's certification certification in, in mediation, and I went to Chicago and did some mediation uh, uh, practicum for, for my course, and, and, uh, and then I took that financial knowledge, and I took my theater knowledge, and I said, well, okay, now I'd like to get a job where I can put both those things together, and literally, I just saw the uh, executive director position on Indeed, you know, and I applied and I went into interview and, and uh, was lucky enough to get called back and, and, and they said they'd love to have me there. And my mother was just turning 86 and she's still in great shape, just, just sharp as a tack. Um, but she is all alone. My father passed away in 2014 and she gets lonely. Sure. And uh, so I decided, you know, there are people that are bi-coastal, so I'm bi-Missourian. So I go back and forth between Columbia and St. Louis. Oh, so. that's nice, though, that you're seeing her. That's that's great. And I'm sure she's extremely proud of everything that you're doing. I mean, tell us a little bit about what you do with the Fox, because I think that's, uh, it's really, a, it's an interesting story. And it's, it's, it's amazing because now you've, you're kind of come full circle. I mean, you're, you're tying in your business career along with your theatrical career. And it's, it's, it's really an amazing, you know, marriage of, of two wonderful parts of yourself. Well, that's just a beautiful way to say it, Sharon. I, it's so exciting because starting out dragging my mother all over to do, to do, uh, theater and dance and acting and singing and whatever I could do do all over and now I get to be back in my childhood bedroom back with my mom in the same house that I grew up in and I get to you know introduce new students 
uh, and and to you know help them find out what's around town and to you know take classes or just go to the theater for the first time and and you know whether they take it as a profession or whether they become an audience member just introducing people uh, to the the performing arts especially live performing arts and in some cases uh, we have several programs at the Fox Performing Arts Charitable Foundation that I'm so super proud of, none of which I started. It was all started by Mary Strauss. And Mary is the majority owner of the Fox Theater in town, the fabulous Fox in Metro Ticks and a, a lot of other things. And, and you know, they uh, three gentlemen bought the Fox in 1981 and they turned it into a live venue. And Mary was um, instrumental in the renovation of the interior. Mm. And she just brought this grand old dame back to life. You know, it's just beautiful. beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. And they've just, you know, exceeded all expectations. They bring in Broadway shows. They're part of the Broadway League. And, and they invest in Broadway shows as well that are playing, in, you know, not just in town here, but also in Broadway. And just they do so much wonderful work and then in 2002 they started the foundation and this is a nonprofit where the fox theater is actually a commercial theater it's a professional theater it's not a nonprofit. and uh so the foundation is the nonprofit. so so we get to do a lot of uh, projects for the kids where we get them scholarship money Mm -hmm. uh, one of our most successful programs is the St. Louis Teen Talent Competition, which Mary started like in 1985, where she decided long before there was, do you think you can dance or America's Got Talent or any of those? She said, let's do, you know, a, a talent competition. And so these people come out and they sing or they dance or they, they uh, you know, do circus or, or magic tricks and and we get professionals in the business here in uh, St. Louis to uh, to adjudicate, to judge. They go through a preliminary round. And then after they do their act, they talk to the judges and the judges give them feedback about what they would do different or how, how good this part was. And then they get to go to the semifinal round if they're in the top 40. And then if they're in the top, you know, 14 of, the, of, of that group, they get to go on the Fox stage. And oh, wow. perform live with with musicians and, and Tellerette kickline dancers. And it's a whole big production. And Channel 9, our PBS station here in town, films it and then shows it a couple of times. And it's it's such a wonderful experience for the kids. And so many of them, you know, if they move into college with their winnings from the show. And, sure. you know, Am Ameren's so wonderful. They give us $8,000 for the first place. Uh, winner. And then we have these wonderful, you know, people, John Russell and, and Sally Johnston, who give, you know, prizes for second and third. And, uh, you know, it's 6,000 and 4,000 respect. And it's just, you know, it's not just about the money. They, they, they get to be creative and it's great fun to see that from year to year. So um, that's one of our programs that that's just been super, super successful. And we're actually open for registrations now for 2021. So people should go to www.foxpacf.org. 
you know, profession, uh, performing arts charitable foundation is the PACF part. And then we have our kids night at the fabulous Fox, which we couldn't do this year, but uh, we are converting to doing, uh, helping out with some of the holiday tours at the Fox where we will be distant and uh, helping where we can on that. And then we have our educational encores, which are the talkbacks after the Broadway shows, but there aren't any Broadway shows at the Fox right now. So we're doing those online and uh, we have them on our YouTube channel. You can get to them from our website at foxpacf.org and uh, they're great fun. Uh, we just finished one with a CATS benefit. The production of CATS and the show in which I met my husband, uh, we got back together and uh, uh, did a benefit and raised $22,000 uh, for the actor's son. And, and Brian Stokes Mitchell came on and uh, a lot of our, our members from the show um, came back and, and it's great fun. And, and that's, um, we did, um, that was on the uh, Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS uh, site, but we did a little section for our teens where we got together with some of the cats and uh, talked to them about uh, career tips for people starting out uh, uh, right now in, in career-wise, and that was great fun. Um, one of our cats, Lisa Don Pave, is actually now the production supervisor of Frozen on Broadway, and even though she can't be on Broadway right now, she's in Australia. Wow. And they're mounting that in Australia. And another one of our cats, uh, Joanne Hunter, is actually in London helping choreograph Andrew Lloyd Webber's new Cinderella. So there's lots of people that are in the business that really help demystify it to our teens and mm -hmm. help excite them uh, about the possibilities of, of work. So it was great fun to do. What do you feel is your greatest accomplishment? What do you feel is your is your great the thing you're the most proud of of what you've been doing in your life? Is it is it currently now with working with the children and kind of coming full circle with theater? What you're what you're doing with the Fox? It really is, Sharon. I have always been very proud of the fact that I'm not a one show Joe. That wherever I work, they have asked me back. And I've never worked for a director or a theater company that hasn't asked me back, uh, which is a, a really nice pat on the back uh, for because sometimes the best stage managers are very quiet. You're behind the scenes and everything's going very smoothly. And they don't really realize how good you are until you're gone and they have someone else. And then they're like, ooh, we'd like to have Judith back because that was a lot smoother. So um, that's been really fun. Coming back to St. Louis, this full circle, I really want to give back in whichever way I can. And there's so many people that are far more talented and have done far more than I have done. But I think one thing, because I don't have a natural ability or a natural beauty or that, you know, that totally born with that gift, I'm just a hard worker. So if there's a way to teach people or in empower people to, to, you know, you build character when you're under pressure and to be brave enough to get up on that stage and strut your stuff and put yourself out there because you learn a lot when you overreach and, and you can't be risk averse. You have to go for it sometimes. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's good to blow an audition or two to say, oh, that's the worst that can happen. I left the room. I didn't get the job. Oh, okay. Let me try again. Um, and, and you don't grow unless you 
get out of your comfort zone and get out of your bubble. And, and so if I can empower teens to do that, um, and that's the best thing I can do. It, the only other best thing at my job is when I write that check to the college. That's a fun <laughs> job. That's, it, it, I love Mary Strauss. Every time I do that, I thank Mary. I'm like, oh, I get to write this wonderful check for this kid to go to college that they may not have gone to before. Uh, you know, we've had a wonderful self-taught pianist, uh, Royce Martin, who was like, should I go to community college or should I go to this Berkeley School of Music in Boston? And we're like, ah! Go to Berkeley, definitely go to Berkeley. So, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's the thing that has to be the most rewarding is what you're doing for, you know, for, for talented kids and, and seeing them fly, seeing them flourish. And I can imagine that would be amazing working there and, and doing that and seeing that. And, and like I was saying, in what you had said earlier, you're doing all this work for the Actors Fund, which we were talking about in our meeting is so necessary now for the fact that artists are in trouble when it comes to having funds because we have no work right now. So everything that you're doing for that is so um, beneficial, Judith. Well, I, I'm very fortunate. You know, this is not my money. This is a wonderful group of people that get together and donate to the foundation. We have the best board in the world, you know, knock on wood. I am just so fortunate. They set this up so well that anybody who donates to the foundation, 100% of what they donate goes to the kids mm -hmm. because they set the foundation up from the very beginning to, to take care of the overhead itself. So unlike, you know, any other organization that you donate, they will usually take a percentage because, you know, it, you have to keep the lights on and you have to write the letters and pay somebody to, to, to write the checks. But um, this foundation is, is set up so perfectly in, in that everybody that donates, you know, I would like to give $1,500 to a jazz pianist in honor of my mother. That jazz pianist gets all $1,500. Mm -hmm. nothing taken out and you know um to be able to do that and to see those kids light up and to know that they can you know go to college and some of them use it for other things I mean they're you know you can take advanced lessons you can go to second city if you're a comedian you know uh you know we really work with the kids if you want to take an advanced workshop you know you can do that and and we're just so fortunate and we also you know we set up other special projects. Uh, they're very, very proud of, they did the Lion King project where they would go to a school and, and do kind of cross curricular work and um, the Hamilton project, we donate to that for Edu-Ham when they would come and have Title I schools out to, it's really the history classes that come out for that. Um, just, you know, opening all that up to everyone is it, just, it's great fun and to see people grow and learn in the theater and it, it's just wonderful. Do you find that um, theater has changed a lot since you were younger? I mean, just the business, the nature of theater, and, and how, how do you think it's changed? Absolutely. I, when I started at the Kennedy Center, I mean, things were just being computerized. Uh, up to that point, um, when you were touring as a stage manager on tour, you were making the decisions. Uh, and now that there's such immediate connection with your, your New York house. Um, they can get to you on a phone, they can get to you on computer. So, so those stage managers who make less of those uh, decisions, they let the, uh, 
the general managers do a lot of that. So, so there's a little less ability for road stage managers. Also, I mean, silly things like, you know, we used to your sign in sheet, you would type everybody's name and then you would use a pencil to draw in the, in the lines because you didn't want your, your typewriter to have run out of uh, ribbon because all you were doing with lines, you know, for people to check in there <laughs> at the call board, you know, now you have computers to do that. But uh, technology has really driven all the special effects to a level that, you know, no one could even imagine 10 years right. ago. You know, in cats, we had hydraulic tires that went up in the air. And in Miss Saigon, we had helicopters that flew up in the air. I mean, and, you know, it's very kind of funny that um, some nights the helicopter hydraulics wouldn't work. And so they would just pump a lot of, of fog. You know, we had the chemical fog that would raise up, you know, if mm -hmm. you use the dry ice fog, it stays on the floor, but the chemical fog raises up in the air. And they would have the headlights, you know, swing up to the very top of the grid. And you would hear the, the sound of the helicopter running over the audience. And everybody thought the helicopter flew that night. But it didn't because it was broken, but it was covered in fog, so you didn't know it. You know, it was the trick of special wow. effects. There it is. There's oh, theater. Ten, years, 10 years ago, there wouldn't be a very expensive 8,000-pound hydraulic helicopter, or wow. if you did it, the Muni real helicopters flying over the stage. It, it would just be the fog mm -hmm. and the lights, you know? So, you know, the way they changed special effects, I mean, there's now LED lights as opposed to incandescent lights. So it really changes how lighting systems work. Um, Frozen now, when it tours, has all kinds of, you know, uh, you know computer-generated uh, special effects, which totally different, you know. It, it is. Um, it's completely different. What so advice would you give? What advice would you give uh, young people going into theater now who are listening who who would think you know and because you've seen it all and you've done you've done so much I mean you've had such a varied such a diverse career and a successful one but for younger people today what do you think I mean it is it is is it easy <laughs> I, I would tell anybody not just somebody in theater to do what you love mm-hmm because work is so much a part of your life that if it's something that you dread or something that you're just doing for a paycheck, your life will not be rich. Uh, you want to be happy in your work. Um, so do something that you love, go out there and stretch. If, the, if, if you think you can't do it, that's okay. You know, try for it. You don't know until till you know it fails and and failing isn't as bad and once you fail once or twice you're like oh that's okay let me try again and you will find such new things out there I, I I you know it's so funny that people in the theater sometimes overthink things they want to help the director by doing this or they want to help the choreographer by doing that and what they really need to do as a performer is just perfect what they're doing. So I would say to everyone, stay in your lane, really protect what you're doing at that time. Obviously, if you want to grow into directing and choreography, you can follow along with somebody else. But, but mainly, you know, if you get really good material, let the material help you organically find 
what you need to do and just do it the best you can. And don't worry about anything else. Just put it out there. And, uh, you know, you'll, you'll find that you thrive more than you fail. And, and you just got to be brave and be empowered. What are some great stories that you have? Because you've worked with so many famous people that, and, and, and we realized too, that the very first play that my mother ever took me to was Twigs with Cloris Leachman at Westport Playhouse. And that was such a great show. She was great. And then you mentioned also that you worked with Sid Charisse, who I adore, and Donald O'Connor, same thing. What, what, were, what were some of these wonderful people like? They're all super talented, and they're all very invested in their careers. Um, Cloris, I did three shows with. She, she's a method actress. She loves to have a little bit of buzz and chaos backstage right before she goes on because she comes on with that feeling of that rush. And so working with her, you have to be really secure with what you're doing. Uh, she's great fun. Um, she started Twigs. This is uh, a story. And she, part of her contract was, uh, it wasn't written into her contract, but one of the things she requested is that she could have Givenchy Hose to do her part. And Givenchy Hose is very expensive and it runs very easily. You get the holes. So she literally was going through a few pairs every show. Tell me about it. I mean, they're designer, but they don't hold up. Exactly. Thank and you. And so a regional theater can't afford, you know, several, several pairs of hose. I mean, you're doing the show and you're doing short tours with, with her. Um, so uh, the customer at that time was my mother, who is the best person on earth. And um, she's very honest and, and a sweet, sweet person. But she was looking at her budget and these hose were just crazy expensive. So my mother went to the grocery store and bought some legs, pantyhose in the plastic egg. Remember right. those? Oh, yeah. She cut out the, the, the tag and she cut out the tag of the Givenchy hose that had runs in it. Sewed the Givenchy hose label into the legs, <laughs> folded the legs up, put it in a package and handed that to Cloris for the next show. And Cloris wore it. It was great. So mom only had to wash it. And she had a couple of pairs of leg pantyhose go back and forth, right? And um, she never so knew. she saved her budget. And, you know, Cloris didn't know any different. And about two or three weeks after the show closed, Cloris called my mom at home. And she's like, Mary Ann, I have to get those Givenchy hose from St. Louis. Because the ones I buy in California, they run all the time. I need <laughs> those ones from St. Louis. They make better hose in St. Louis. So my mother had to fess up and say, you know, Cloris, all you have to do is go to the grocery store and they have these leg pantyhose in the plastic egg. And Cloris thought it was the funniest thing ever. I think this is the funniest story ever. Oh my. <laughs> Your mother is brilliant. That is so smart. See, that's something that like somebody in my family would do. They'd be like, don't tell her, just sew the label in. She'll never know the difference. That's, that's brilliant. That is, that is a great story. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine the stories that you have about famous people. And I just, th see, I think it's so fascinating because I think that people don't realize the stage manager is the one and, and costumers who really are like on the everyday with an actor. They really have to be there to, you know, 
encourage them, to help them, to, you know, cater to them, to do, and people don't realize how important and just how pivotal that job is, stage managing, and then, of course, working with the costumers who are so close to you. Um, you know, it's just fascinating. And, it, and I love that because, you know, we always talk about theater from a, a performance, you know, part, but we don't talk about all the stuff that goes on backstage and how much that is intricate to a person's performance. You know, and I, and I just think that's very, very fascinating, your, your life and the experiences that you've had. Well, you're, you're very sweet. It, it's fun to see great artists demystified and not mm-hmm. in their their red carpet uh, garb, but to see, you know, often the people that are most successful are hard workers. Mm-hmm. So to see them really, you know, uh, without the makeup and the hair, really get down and, 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 and be real is great fun. I mean, I did the Rainmaker with Tony Tennille. Uh, she's known mostly as a singer, the captain and Tennille, but uh, when they got married, the captain gave her a giant canary yellow diamond ring that you know costs more than I've ever made in my life you know you know and as a stage manager you collect valuables and you lock them up and uh, she didn't have like have a box or anything to put the the ring in she's like just wear it and I'm like oh my god I can't do that but I don't have a box and I want to scratch it or anything she goes no no just wear it Judy and so I called the whole show holding this ring so afraid that the, that that ring would fall off while I'm calling the show that that was the most unenjoyable show because I sweat it every day you know because she wouldn't leave the ring at home or in the you know she just let me wear it because she thought she was doing a nice thing for me but I was scared to death I was gonna lose that ring um but you know it, it it's just funny because she was just a hard worker and she just thought that was just okay I mean And I'm thinking, oh, my God, if I lose this, I will never be able to replace this. You know, it's just crazy. That's the thing I found the most, like with any, you know, celebrities or or, or people that I've worked with, their hard work. You know, everybody thinks, well, what was it like to, you know, work with Alec Baldwin or what was it like to know Julie Wilson? They just they're so good at what they do. They take it very seriously. They are dedicated and professional and hardworking. But they're just like you and us. However, there's a different set of like, I don't know, um, standards with their work that makes it where they are very disciplined and very in tune to what they have to do. Wouldn't you say that's what you've seen just in your Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, people that are at that national level and, and, they do it so often, they get so much work. And the more you work, the better you get. I mean, people often ask me, especially when you're working with teens, should they get their union card right away? Or should they, you know, work uh, as a non-union performer? And and I always say, you know, there's plenty of very, very, very talented non-union performers. There's talent on both sides. Uh, But what you want to do is not get that union card and compete at auditions with, with seasoned people until you have enough repertoire and you've gone through the process and you're, you're really secure. So, you know, try to build up, you know, you say yes to every job, you know, That's and you can true. always say, oh, I got a job that paid a little more. I got a job that, you know, but as long as you say yes to every job, it, you know, it, it's, 
in, it's really good to have that experience and to learn from different teachers. You know, a lot of kids only want to take from one dancing teacher or one acting teacher, and they feel that that's a loyalty problem if they go. It's not. You want to get the tool from everybody. You want to find out how that person thinks or how that person prepares because, uh, you know, it's very, art's very subjective. And, and to have all those different uh, tools available to you is very important. And, and you can't be somebody that is intimidated with, with stars that you work with. Uh, I, when I was at the Kennedy Center for two and a half years, uh, Ted Kennedy would, would, you know, come and walk on stage and walk backstage to talk to the actors. And, and you know, it would always freak me out. I mean, the, the stage is a sacred space. We don't let people just walk up on the stage, you know, if you're, unless you're an actor, you know, mm -hmm. but then I had to remember, you know, it's named after his brother. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe we'll let him come up on stage. Right, exactly. He is a candidate. Right. Come on back. Come on Come back. On. So, uh, um, but, you know, they're just people and, and, and you just you have to demystify it. You know, it, it's, it's, I know some people get so nervous and you have to use those nerves to, to heighten your work and, and um, everybody gets nervous at some time, but you can't just let it not let you be involved. You can't, oh, I'd like to be in the teen talent contest and I would like to tell my mom I'm going for a scholarship by just sending in this tape, but I'm afraid. Well, what's to be afraid of? Make the tape, just send it out there. It's out in the world and then you can just drop it and forget about it. And if they call you up, great. And if they don't call you up, you haven't lost anything. Yes, so you should always good. try. You should always work hard. You, and, and great advice when you said you should say yes to everything because you never know where that's going to lead to the next job or the next connection I've found in life. And, and, and like you said, be fearless and don't be intimidated by people because they are just people because I've seen that before. People get really freaked out and scared and then they don't want to go out and audition for something or they, they, they don't feel like they're good enough. And, you know, cause I know even as a young kid, you know, you, you deal with those kinds of things. You feel insecure or you feel like you're not good enough. And, and, and I think maybe because we started out so young, like being on stage and dancing that we got over some of that. I don't know, but I'm sure for you, it's you because you you've spent your whole life really in this oh you know in this area. I can imagine it's it's affected you. How has it affected you in your personal life? Do you think these these lessons that you've learned with your kids? Good question. I, you know because I don't have a frame of reference of any difference. Uh, it, it's more difficult to answer. I think that as a mother, I am more careful about my children than I was for myself. <laughs> and I have to constantly remind myself that, you know, being a helicopter parent is not a good thing, that people need to sometimes fail at little things so they get stronger and they don't fail at bigger things. And so I try to remind myself, not to go back to a uh, Chloris story, but Cloris Leachman uh, in Twigs, you know, she does a, a lot of uh, changes as she goes, ages the character and um, he's backstage putting some some old age makeup and, and a, a stage a hand came by and, and asked me out. And I said, no, 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 I, I, you know, I can't go out. And, and she turned to me and she goes, Judy, remember to have a life. And she then she started to tell me, you know, her personal story where her manager was her husband and they got a divorce and he married a younger woman and, and she, uh, 
she uh, they had a child and, and Clara stayed very close to the to the second wife and the child. And, and even though she still loved her ex-husband and it was really hard for her, um, she wanted that family. She wanted that togetherness. And uh, for her to tell me such a personal thing in the middle of a, of, a, of, a, of a costume change and a makeup change, I was like, oh, my gosh. So, um, you know, when my husband came along, I, I did think of Cloris and I'm like, yep, remember to have a life. So even though the, the next show is like, OK, we're going to leave in two weeks. I'm like, well, I'm planning a wedding. So I have to say no to this job because I am going to have a, a, a husband and I'm going to have my two children, my son and my daughter. And I have to remember you know, life's, life's not a dress rehearsal. You, you have to also have a life. So, sure, because uh, you can't miss out on those important moments too that, that, that make it all fulfilling and worthwhile. Are your children in theater at all? Do they do that? My, my son is in the film. He has a, a small film company called Rendezvous Pictures in Kansas City. So he does a lot of uh, very avant-garde film work. Uh, my daughter just graduated from school. So she has a survival job right now. Uh, and is is figuring out her next steps. So uh, she she works in uh, Columbia, Missouri, as an apartment agent. With when you're in Mizzou, is a, a big college, so there's lots of apartments in town. So so she's she's glad to have her first job and her first car, and she's got her first you know health benefits. So she she's just now stepped out of the nest. So my husband and I are empty nesters just recently. So we're oh. getting used to that. Judith, you're one of the most fascinating people. And I think you are just, your career is something to be really admired and emulated. And I'm just, I'm so thankful for you to be on the podcast. I've enjoyed talking to you so much. And I can only imagine your personality, your beauty, and why you have continued the career that you've had is just, is is evident in just talking to you. Well, you are the sweetest person on earth, aren't you? She's nice, but I really love that you're doing this. I can't wait to see who you get on next because it's such great fun, not only to find out about them, but about you. And so oh, thank I love you. this. Well, thank you so much. I, uh, I so appreciate this. And uh, is there anything you want to tell anybody before you know we wrap it up? Uh, anything to remind them more about with the Fox? Uh, anything else or the, e- the email or the, you know, to get involved again with the, talent competition. Absolutely. Our registration is open for our 2021 season. If you are a 9th, 10th, 11th, or 12th grader, go to foxpacf.org and check it out. It's a wonderful way to get scholarship money that doesn't involve your your report card or, or essays or any of the other hard hoops that they make you jump through. It's great fun. And it's a wonderful way to earn money for for college or for advanced courses. And and, uh, we have lots of other things on the website. So check it out. And thank you so much for letting me do that. Thank you. Thank you. And all the best to you. You too. Alrighty. Bye. (laughs) Bye Bye-bye. Well, that's our show. Thank you for joining me. Be well, be safe, and be good to each other. I'm Sharon Hunter. Until next time on Moonstone Connections.